New Paris. I'm your host, Lindsay Tremuda. How important is travel in our lifelong education? For Kevin Donat, founder of Le Paris Noir Walking Tours, it's a crucial element to understanding a place, a culture, a past, and a present. And above all, it builds empathy. He chronicles the city's connection to Africa, the Caribbean, and the United States, covering critical themes from colonization and immigration to the literary, political, and artistic figures that have influenced the course of French history. And today, we're going to talk about what sparked his work, the ongoing tensions around discussions of race and identity in France, and the books and films you can watch to foster understanding while travel is still on hold. Kevi, thanks for being with me. Hey, thank you for having me. <laughs> so, you know, it's been now uh, almost, two, no, a year and a half since we met on your tour, uh, on Le Paris Noir tour through Saint-Germain. And, you know, it was just such an incredible, um, um, an incredible moment. I know it was freezing that day, but I, you know, my friends and I, we learned so much from you. And I just, ever since, you know, obviously we, we've talked a lot since then. And a year ago, we were sitting around a cafe talking about your work for a story that I was preparing and then COVID happened. So it's been a long road for you too, I'm assuming. It's been quite a year. Yes, it, ha it has been very uh, stressful and difficult, but also um, inspiring, I would say. Um, because I had mm -hmm. more time than usual to to think about the tours, to think about uh, Black history in, in, in general, and uh, uh, so many things happened this past yeah ten months when it comes to to what I'm, mm -hmm. what I'm doing, which is the the, the Black history of Paris. Uh, that that yeah, it, it's it's a lot of things and it's a lot to process and yeah. So to go back, because, you know, obviously I, I know the, the backstory, but for our, for listeners, can you talk a bit about the starting point for your tours? Like what was the moment you knew that you wanted to dedicate your attention to black history in Paris and, and the influence of many black figures to the city? So, so there were uh, different steps. So I became a tour guide exactly 10 years ago, and I'm not from Paris. I'm originally from Martinique. Uh, I was a student, so I came to France about 15 years ago, uh, first to Rennes, where I studied political studies. Uh, and then I was supposed to work in the administration, in the management of uh, public nursing homes and local hospitals. It was not for me. I didn't like it. Uh, so I was back in Paris, and I needed a job, and it was a sort of uh, happy coincidence, a friend of a friend told me, if you speak English and you know Paris a little bit, you could work with us. And this is how I became a tour guide. So I really enjoyed the the, the mission as a, as a tour guide to show people around, to tell them stories. Uh, I, I love the human connection, but uh, also being a tour guide is about representation, about are you uh, legitimate to to be a Parisian and to show people around in the city of Paris? So first, people were questioning my my identity. So I told you I grew up and I was born in Martinique. Martinique mm -hmm. is technically in France, but it's a French, it's a former French colony. Now it's a department of overseas, still part of the French Republic. So am I French? It's a very complex question that people are asking me all the time. And also people are asking me questions about diversity in Paris, let's call it like that. Why are there so many black people in France was a, a question I would get uh, quite a lot. Oh. 
but these are these are these were clients from uh they were not french is that what no, you they were not foreign they were europeans right. asians north okay. americans south americans but no no french well it was tours in english it was mostly uh for foreigners and um i wanted to have a tour or a couple of tours that were more personal, that were a little bit deeper and where I could answer all of these questions. So this is how in 2013, I started to do tours about the black history of Paris. I was not the first one, but I was, I, I was, I think the first one to uh, focus on French black history. I had a lot of questions about why are there so many black people in France? And I think it's a, it's an interesting question, but I was not really uh, prepared to answer that question because that's not the type of discussions French people love to have in general. So, um, first the tour where the tours were, uh, uh, meant for, for, for Americans basically. And, um, these past two, three years, I had more and more French people interested in, in, in joining the tours. So now I do tours uh, in French, even though COVID changed everything. Um, now I do yeah. online sessions, but um, French people are more and more interested in, uh, about the idea of exploring a colonial past that is not really addressed in French society. But we'll talk about that more if you want. Right. Right. Oh, trust me, we will. <laughs> so, you know, I you you had so many fascinating stories, even just during the you know through the tour that I took, and I know you have multiple walks that you that you give. So, on a personal level, what are some of the anecdotes that you love to share with people? Yeah. So these days, I mean, um, I love to talk about Gaston Monerville. Uh, I think you. I, I think I've mentioned mm-hmm. Gaston Monerville on the tour. So Gaston Monerville is. Uh, long story short, is the most important black political, politician in French history. So he was from French Guiana, and between the late 1940s and the late 1960s, he was president of the Senate. And as I explained, in France, we don't have a vice president of the French Republic. So if the president dies or is impeached or goes missing or whatever, it's the president of the Senate who becomes president by interim. That makes him number two in the hierarchy of power. And Monerville uh, had this position in in France for 20 years and is not really in history books and people never heard of him. There's no there's no movie about him. There's not a biopic with a black actor uh, who could be Gaston Monerville. There's not so many statues of him. So he's, he's really forgotten. And so when I take people by the Senate and I tell them about this black politician, when nowadays in 2021 we complain about the lack of inclusivity uh, in French society, and we see that in the 1950s there were more black politicians in French politics for multiple questions, complex questions, people are surprised. And, and, and I was the first to be uh, amazed when, when I would uh, find out more and dig more about these, uh, these people who, for some reason, are, are missing now. You know, he- so you don't know why, 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 were, why were there more Black politicians at that time versus now? Is there well, any... Yeah, well, well an, an explanation is time. In, in the 1950s, France was trying to hold on the colonial, uh, the colonial empire, uh, which was mostly in Africa, right? So there were more and more representation of people from the colonies in French institutions. So before ah. 
these countries became independent in the 1960s, for instance. People like uh, Félix Oufouad-Boigny or Léopold Sédar Senghor, who became president of Senegal and Ivory Coast, well, they were French politicians. They were in the cabinet. They were elected officials. So so if you if you look at some pictures of French power in the 1950s, you're like, wait, 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 what is that? So so it, it is interesting. And <laughs> independence, is, we kind of shut that door because for some reason they are topics we don't like to talk about so much and some of these really interesting people they were not angels i'm not saying they were perfect but they were very very interesting uh fantastic i mean they had um really interesting fascinating lives between different cultures and and the you know they were war heroes etc but intellectuals at the same time and these guys are not that mm-hmm. present in our collective memory i think so obviously that leads to a good a good uh, question, I mean, not a good question, a, a point I wanted to discuss with you, which is that in my understanding, France's colonial past isn't really taught in school. And, you know, I've heard over time from various French people that the country, you know, they're convinced that the country, okay, had had this colonial history, but weren't engaged in slavery, which is, I think, a, a misunderstanding of of history. What is and isn't taught here? And and like what are the misunderstandings that you come across when you're giving when you're giving tours or even from French people you've spoken to about your work? So there was a big shift between the uh, late 1990s and 2001. So in 1998, it was a 150-year anniversary of the definitive abolition of slavery in the French Empire, in the French colonies, right? And for that occasion in Paris, there was a, a march to commemorate the abolition of about 40 to 50,000 black people marching in the streets of Paris. And a lot of French people were like, what are they talking about? Do you, what, slavery? What? And the reason for that... Mm. Confusion was it was not part of the curriculum. So transatlantic slavery, uh, transatlantic, uh, yeah, um, slavery basically was not really addressed in in history books. And then in 2001, the Senate voted a law that acknowledged uh, slavery as a crime against humanity. And then a few years later, uh, it was, um, let's say, incorporated in in the curriculum. And then May the 10th became the national day for the commemoration of of slavery. So it is more and more addressed. But for older generations, the the knowledge of slavery is is very, very minimal. It's, it's, yeah, people don't really know any, they don't know the dates. And one example I love to give people is uh, on the tour, I changed the itinerary a little bit this past few months, and now I take people to the Luxembourg Garden where there, by the Senate where there is the memorial for the abolition of slavery, right? And I tell people, have you ever heard of Victor Schelcher? And Victor Schelcher, if you grew up in Martinique or in Guadeloupe, in French Guiana, you hear about Victor Schelcher everywhere because he's the man, the white man who is considered as the French liberator, the French savior, right? So everywhere in Martinique is a street named after him. And in France, people, most people never heard the name Victor Schelcher because the history of slavery is, was not really taught. So people don't even know the date 
1848, or the guy who signed the paper to uh, to finally abolish uh, slavery in the colonies. So it's just something to 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 tell you how um, France is a country that is obsessed with history, and we have France is itself as a sort of historical country with a special position in the world. But that part of a sort of um, uh, global French history is, is not really. Uh, seriously t- t- taken seriously is what I mean. I mean, it's it's interesting when you uh, took all of us through the gardens, and we did see that that um, memorial uh, or or I mean commemorative statue. You know, how many times have all of us been in in the gardens and not? You know, I, I mean, know. I I don't go there very often, but like you know, how many people walk by that all the time and don't realize what it's there for? And and I think I remember you pointing out the. Um, the fact that there was, weren't there two dates? There was a first date of abolition and then a second date, like it had been reinstated or something? Oh, yeah, there, there's there's a lot of problems with dates because the, the, there are two abolitions. There's a an abolition of uh, 1793, 1794, 1793, during the French Revolution. And so there's a there's a, a huge insurrections in, in Saint-Domingue, which is Haiti, a, a French colony back then. And during the revolution, there will be uh, an abolition of slavery. And Napoleon, uh, in the early 1800s, decided to reinstate slavery in, in, in French possessions, which is going to lead to the Haitian Revolution, the independence of Haiti. Uh, then, so so there is this first moment of uh, of abolition of slavery that is completely forgotten, even more than the one of 1848. And then for the other French colonies, slavery went back on until 1848. So you have two uh, two moments, two abolitions. And then when you talk about the second abolition, some people want to talk about the abolition of April the 27th that is decided in Paris, and some other people uh, like me want to acknowledge another date, which is the date when uh, uh, the enslaved in the colonies who were not really liberated, even though the papers were signed in Paris, decided to um, to have insurrections, and then local governors had to really set them free. So, for instance, in Martinique, we would commemorate um, um, May the 22nd, mm-hmm. And then you have uh, metropolitan friends, mainland friends, the hexagon that decided that it would be May the tenth. So it is a very like no one agrees on which date, which day to celebrate, and which heroes to commemorate, etc. So yeah, it's it's complex. And also, I believe you also talked about the um, the fact that there's this idea that because the enslaved were not on mainland France. That, that there's a lot of messaging around there not having been slavery in France. But really what they mean is there was no slavery on mainland France, that's, right? Isn't there, isn't that sort of like one of the uh, defense mechanisms that you we hear a lot about that past? There, there's, um, you, you can tell that uh, France in a way, wants to separate what happened in mainland France and what happened in the overseas, in the French overseas. So uh, you don't have so many museums talking about uh, the colonial past. Of course, you have uh, some memorials in uh, the city of Nantes. Uh, There is a section of the Musée d'Aquitaine in Bordeaux that is uh, about the involvement of the city of Bordeaux in the transatlantic, uh, transatlantic slave trade. 
but it's only from 2009. It's very recent. And about Paris, we still we're still waiting for the museum uh, about uh, slavery or about the colonial past. And there was a lot of resistance with, uh, um, you know, um, slavery was not in Paris. It was not um, like, um, um, you know, um, all of this took place in, in the Caribbean or in, in La Réunion. So they should uh, worry about it there, but it's not really us. That, that was really uh, the response for, for quite a long time. Um, even though everything was centralized in, in Paris or at least in Versailles or something like that. But, but yeah, so there's like, no, no, it was not us. So yeah. Right. Very easy to, to address. So if we, if we look at what's happening more recently, then, um, obviously the last 10 months, as you say, have been very, you know, intense in, in multiple ways. Um, and, and there's been a lot of talk extremely recently um, in France about this idea that there's a sort of importation of American identity politics and critical race theory, um, particularly as a way of explaining the rise of dissenting voices. Do you actually think that's what's at play? Um, you know, there was a New York Times story this week that I thought was excellent that highlighted, you know, these tensions um, and, and the idea of, of putting the blame on you know, the kinds of thinking that happens at American universities and, you know, um, and that that's, you know, for me, and in any case, I don't see that as being, you know, the source of the problem. Um, but, you know, what do you think is at play? And, and do you think that this is just sort of about the country refusing to see that universalism as it as it is right now, isn't working in practice? Yeah, so I'm, I'm always, it's always very difficult to have these conversations between two cultures. Uh, when I became a tour guide 10 years ago, uh, the owner of the company I was working for uh, knew that most of our customers were Americans and that we should be careful about the words we're using when we're talking about politics. So it was like, you guys don't talk about the elections uh, like 10 years ago with Americans because you're going to tell them that you vote socialist, for, for instance, because, you know... <laughs> With, with Americans as a tour guide, I understood that Republican is not Republican, liberal is not liberal, socialist is not socialist, radical is not radical. You know, so so it's always. I think there's all, sometimes also things that get lost in translation. So, so sometimes that we mm -hmm. don't really uh, uh, understand each other uh, easily uh, sometimes. But I I, I think it, it is. I wanted to say it first, but. Uh, I also think there's a lot of bullshit uh, on the side of the French government yeah. right now. Uh, the idea that we would need uh, American ideology to be aware of discrimination is insulting. The idea that uh, black French people, for instance, are not cap capable of having their own uh, reaction to uh, French oppression is ignorant. Uh, I don't think uh, yep. Franz Fanon or Aimé Césaire uh, were inspired by uh, BET or by Black Lives Matter. Uh, so, so th there's there's also a, a sort of French French ignorance who basically says our minorities were very well behaved until uh, American culture arrived, and now they are complaining about stuff they were silent before. And I I think it's it's just disrespectful. Right. 
Right. Um, now that I said that, it is true that uh, some words, some concepts are, of course, uh, imported from, from America. It, it is true on the left. It is true on the minority movements, but it is true also on the far right. And I never hear anyone talk about how uh, uh, similar uh, the French and the, the American uh, rights are right now. So I, I don't know. I, 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 that, that's just my take on, on this conversation. It, it's not only a, a, a conversation between, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, people right. who try to be woke or something like that. It's, it's just that people have the internet and they communicate and they observe each other and they compare, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And when you talk about the rhetoric of the, of the alt-right, for instance, the, the French idea, the French concept of grand remplacement, you know, which is this uh, threat that a lot of um, yes. Western civilizations are facing at the moment with white genocide, etc. Well, you have same conversation in Australia and Canada in the US. And, and so how do we call that? No, you're absolutely right to bring up the, the Grand Remplacement, which obviously in, inspired uh, some of the thinking and the justification for what's going on in the US. I mean, it's you're right. It's it's so reductive to assume that somehow one culture is, you know, importing its ideas and its and its strategies, and that that's what's going on here. So I, I knew you would have, you know, some feelings about it. And and related to that, you know, the the Black Lives Matter demonstrations last June had global reverberations, and you know, we saw how that played out in in Paris and other parts of France. Do you think that impact then? Everything that we experienced last summer, do you think it will endure? You know, obviously there we have some very vocal thinkers and activists who are really working to ensure that it goes beyond protesting. But do you think it marked the kind of change that that we need here? Yes. So I, I think it will mark a change for France because actually we had two waves of protests and indignation. So the first one, uh, after the death of George Floyd, a lot of French politicians and journalists uh, were not open to uh, be critical about French police at all, even though there were really, like I'll say that, uh, local stories in, in France about police being brutal, basically. Uh, and then last uh, October or November, I'm not quite sure, there was the story of Michel Zecler, who was a, a 40-something-year-old black man who was assaulted by the police, and it was recorded by his own camera, but also by the neighbors. And it was so violent and over-the-top and incredible that even some politicians were uh, um, uh, open to say, yeah, yeah, maybe we have sometimes a problem. So the door is open, but there are still uh, the idea that the government has to be uh, strict and that we have to be careful about separatism, for instance. So I'm, I'm conflicted. I think at the same time, more and more people are forced to uh, realize that there is a problem with the police in France, not only with minorities, by the way. The French police is too aggressive with everybody from Gilets Jaunes to uh, activists and, um, 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 sorry, um, environmentalists or feminists. The, the government is, the, the, the police is, is, is too brutal with everybody, but with minorities, of course. Uh, and so more and more people are facing that. But at the same time, we have a sort of moment, we are at a moment right now where the government tries to be a little bit more 
how to say it. Um, uh, I don't know if authoritarian is the right word, but we have some laws being passed at the moment, laws against right. separatism. Uh, the government wants to be more vigilant about what is happening in universities, especially in social studies, uh, in humanities, when it comes to what they call imported ideology, for instance. So it, it's, it's not a real fun moment uh, right, right now. No, but I wonder if this is maybe the growing pain that needs to, that we all need to go through here, you know, to see the other side. Because obviously the, what happened to uh, Michel, uh, the record producer, and what happened last summer really highlighted the fact that you can't pretend like this isn't happening. You know, it really was a, uh, an eye-opening moment, I think, at least for some of the people who weren't paying attention before or who tried to say that this was happening in other, you know, in other cultures. It was, it was an, an American problem. Yeah. And now, now you can't say that. Yes, especially because just we cannot have one half of the news saying, yeah, 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 uh, identity politics, it's Americans. We, 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 we don't want to talk about that. This is important. We are a, a peaceful, uh, colorblind country. And the, the other half on the news is Islam, 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 Muslims, Muslims, Muslims. It's, it right. does not make sense. You, you, you have to choose your lie. You cannot do both at the same time. So, <laughs> so let me ask you, have you spent much time in the U.S.? I uh, just as a tourist, I never lived. Uh, the most the most time I spent is three weeks or a month uh, in New York, something like that. But no, I, I've never lived in the U.S. And how did you feel when you were there? Because I know that one of the things I hear a lot, and you know, even Hokeya told me um, that she she never felt more French than she than she does when she travels in the U.S. I I, I don't know if that. I makes sense. French wherever I travel. Uh, on okay. tiny stuff. Uh, when I'm in France, I'm complaining about France a lot. Like, oh my God, what am I doing here? But at the same time, when I go to Italy or to France, I, I understand sometimes why I, I, I am French. Uh, uh, last time, I um, not, not, not in a positive or negative way, just, okay, I, I right now I realize that I'm, I'm, I'm being in a different country at the moment. Uh, so uh, three years ago was the last time I went to the US and we went to, uh, uh, first we were in Bed-Stuy and then in Harlem and people were giving me the nod. Black people were giving me the nod. Uh, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's so American. And uh, we don't really do that in France. There's the idea that minorities should not be to, should not show open solidarity too much. It's, uh, it's suspicious, you know? So, so that, that's a, a little, uh, uh, for you, uh, for instance. Yeah. 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 So that's actually an interesting segue uh, because, you know, talking about sort of the solidarity between, uh, you know, the, the black community in different locations, you have Le Chip, which covers the black experience, particularly through music and media and culture. What, what is that, what has that experience brought to you? And, you know, what are some of the leading figures in this space? Who are some of the leading figures in this space in France that you think are influencing culture? So, for instance, a year ago in Le Chip, we had uh, an artist named Luz and the Yakuza. She's Belgian, mm -hmm. but uh, she's actually from Rwanda and Congo, I think. And she's uh, a very talented artist who's at the same time very unapologetic about her own blackness. Her influences are very, you know, cosmopolitan, uh, I would say. And she's one of these few 
uh, francophone singers that also has some who get some attention from uh, international media. So if it wasn't for COVID, she was planned to have a sort of very ambitious uh, tour, international tour. So I think she's and and she's. Like she's very young, and you can tell that for a generation, being vocal about Black Lives, for instance, is something she's not afraid of, and she sings in different uh, languages. So, so Luz, for instance, is is someone who's definitely going to be, I think, very big uh, in the next few years, few years, and who's going to be vocal about social issues. Mm-hmm. And so, how do you like the the podcast? You 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 run it with a couple of other friends. Yes. How you know? It must have been among the first of its kind for France, and and here you are having this like, you know, it's gotten quite uh quite a good, you know, sort of uh it's gotten good reach or good coverage in the press. So like, how does that feel? Do you feel like you know all it took all this time was for you know these these kinds of platforms to exist, and then the stories could you know be be shared, and you know how do you how do you sort of make sense of the the resonance well, now? I, I think it's it's because it's a generational thing. I, I I think, and also I think Melanie, Francois are both French journalists, black French journalists, and we met five or four years ago. And at the time, they were experiencing some frustration because there were topics they wanted to talk about in the media as they were in the media as they were working. Uh, for uh, at the time and and there were res- resistance because uh, talking about uh, blackness in mainstream French papers was not that easy four years ago so this is how we connected and we we had the idea of starting Le Chip. Now we have some success with Le Chip, but it's still a podcast. It's very um, you know uh, fragile and we we're not making a living with, mm. with Le Chip. It's it's more something that we literally do for the culture. Uh, and now there's a lot of questions about how to make it more professional when you're a black creator, especially you don't uh, necessarily have access to the same uh, to, to to the same opportunities as uh, as a white creators, especially when people are not open to the idea that minorities should have spaces and moments for for themselves. So we are facing all of these challenges uh, at the same time, and it's a it's a learning experience uh, at the same time because there's not a a guide uh, named how to make it when you are a black creator uh, in, uh, in 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 2021. So we 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 are building it at the same time. So it, it is exciting because I think there's a lot of. Uh, black talent uh, at the moment in in France, and it's more and more visible. And it might be in pop culture, it might be in academia, in books, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, there are definitely uh, a lot of talented voices uh, uh, that need to be heard. Well, I mean, that's the good thing is that podcasting at least lets you get out there, and then you know, finding that audience is is half the problem. But you're right that you know the the access to the resources and the and the support and the promotional element, you know, still very complicated. And I feel like if you were to to plop this into the UK or, or the US, it might be a different story. Um, but you're you're doing it. So that's already there's there's something strong about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Back to your tours um, and and obviously Le Paris Noir podcast is an extension of that. Um, it's going to be a little while before tourists can get back to Paris. Um, in the meantime, what might you recommend for people listening who want to get a better sense of understanding around the Afro-European and Caribbean influence on Paris? Are there any books or films or maybe 
you said you're doing virtual versions of your tour for now. Is that right? Yes, I am. So I do, I do um, sessions uh, at least once a, um, a week uh, in French on Saturday afternoon. So I, I do some sort of online presentations and then I have conversations with groups of five to 12 people. I also do uh, tailored uh, uh, online tours for companies who are doing special events for Black History Month, uh, for instance, or international companies, mm-hmm. not really French companies so much, but still. Uh, and uh, and so that's, that's the way I keep on sharing uh, what I do. But other than that, yeah, when it comes to books and films and music, I think there are more and more. Uh, so I, I, I cannot be exhaustive and tell you everything. But just um, if you want to know about uh, a sort of modern Black French experience, there is a book named Marianne et le Garçon Noir. So Marianne is the, you know, the female figure that represents the French Republic. So it's Marianne and the Black mm-hmm. Boy. And it was directed, the, the book was directed by, by a woman who is basically helping young black Frenchmen who are, who grew up in France to, um, tell, tell us what was the experience, uh, as young black people growing up in France, especially because there's the idea that specifically black men are not welcome in some, uh, areas in, in France, uh, when it comes to culture, et cetera, et cetera. So, so there's the idea that there's a very also specific, uh, male uh, black experience in France that is different than the female black experience, which is an al- also a very huh. interesting point of view. And it was uh, directed by a really talented and vocal uh, French Cameroonian uh, woman named Leonora Miano. So that's definitely uh, on the list. Uh, it's not a postcard mm-hmm. of Paris. It's uh, uh, what what uh, racism in, in school looks like. What is the type of interaction you're going to have with the police? So, uh, Things like that, and 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 I, and I thought it was uh, interesting to to have uh, this this point of view. Uh, on a more um, on a lighter note, there is a, a movie that came out a year ago. Uh, it's a comedy, and the movie is quite controversial, uh, especially among my, my black friends who are very divided. We talked about it on the cheap. I was the very enthusiastic one, and people were not so convinced. But I really enjoyed it, and the movie did pretty well. It's named Tout Simplement Noir, or Just Simply Black. And ah, yes. Have you seen uh-huh. it? Have you seen it? Um, no, I didn't. I didn't see it, but I saw the reaction to it. Um, so I think did it? Didn't this come out just before COVID? Uh, it, it came out between the two lockdowns, so like in June, in July. Ah, okay. In July. Okay, that might be why. I have not been to a movie theater in like two years. So that could be why. But but I know that like some of the people that we, we both know, like Jennifer Pajimi and yeah. Melody Thomas had some pretty strong opinions about it. So keep so going. I'm I'm curious what you what you felt. Point of view in general is, my point of view in general is I'm extremely critical of black people in French pop culture. Uh, I, um, I, there's a lot of things where I'm like, no, no, life, life in France is not the worst. Come on. Uh, But really when it comes to TV and movies, I I get, I get really, really pissed. And I yell at my TV about the representation of black people in general. And that movie, um, made me feel better, uh, in some way, because I love humor. I love comedy, but I, I, I don't like the, 
typical French take on the way people of different uh, cultures should live together. Uh, you have a, a string of movies, Qu'est-ce qu'on a fait au bon Dieu, which are basically French comedies explaining that everybody is a little bit racist, so let's be racist together, you should not be offended, etc. So that's not what I like yeah. in, in, in movies. But Tout Simplement Noir is, is different uh, in my point of view because you follow Jean-Pascal Zadi, who is a failed actor, is a comedian who's 40 years old, is black, and suddenly he realizes that black people are not really visible uh, in French culture. So he decides to create a, a, a movement, a march just for black men, and you follow him meet, meeting with other important uh, black people uh, in French society, French actors, comedians, uh, uh, athletes, etc., et journalists, And you get uh, um, uh, um, a glimpse of the black experience in France in 2020. And as I was watching the movie for the first time, the only thing I could, the only thing, only thing I could think of was I, I want foreigners, especially black people from other parts of the world, to see that movie because, in a way, it answers it answers some questions that I, I get a lot about when I try to explain. Uh, that uh, it is difficult uh, to be to be black in France, especially uh, when it comes to representations. Representations of, of black people in France are, are not really um, satisfying. I would say. So there's a lot. There's a lot you that people me? can do. Then they can, you know, uh, they can consume multiple forms of of information to to under, have a better understanding while they wait to come back to Paris and take your tour. Um, if they want to contact you for a virtual experience, they can do that directly at leparinoir.com? Leparinoir, uh, via email, leparinoir at gmail.com. Okay. And I can't wait to take another tour with you. I want everyone to get to experience, you know, what you, what you're doing. You're such a, a, a wonderful storyteller. Um, Kevi, I want to talk more about all this stuff. So let's, let's, you know, do it again. Yes. Um, and hopefully things will keep improving. Yes. And, and there's a new tour coming up uh, whenever the world and the streets of Paris are available. So yeah, keep that in. Ooh. Yes. Okay, exciting. So you've heard it here first, a scoop from Kevi at Le Paris Noir. <laughs> Kevi, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lindsay. That's the show for today. As always, thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing with friends. You can find all previous episodes of the New Paris podcast wherever you stream your podcasts and on World Radio Paris. If you're enjoying these conversations, please consider picking up a copy of the New Paris book or my recent release, The New Parisienne, from your local booksellers. Until next time, à bientôt.